Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Oh, good morning, Crosspoint. Why am I... Uh... Thank you, Rob. Um, why am I never surprised by your intro videos? They're always so hype. Your intro videos, all, they surprise me every time, but they're awesome. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Chris, a uh, uh, friend of Crosspoint. I've uh, been here a few times. And actually, um, a couple times ago I was here, I just had a camera and Rob. Um, and then last time there was a few people filling out. And now we have a balcony. This is wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It's good to be with you uh, this morning as we continue the series of power. Yes, it's a great Scottish word to say. Power. I love that word. It's a great word. And, and as you have been um, processing through this series uh, together, um, you've been looking, I believe, at uh, creative power, opposing powers, seeking powers. And what Rob has told me, this has been a thinking series. You've been getting your brains going and processing of, of what are some of the cultural holds that we perceive of power? And then also, what does the Bible say about those things? And what does the Bible talk about in those things? Uh, so this morning, I want to start with a really um, uh, dividing question. Uh, this is going to split the room. Um, it's going to cause probably frictions in families. Um, so uh, the question is this, uh, who is your favorite Marvel superhero? Who is your, I, I would love you to shout out, who's your favorite Marvel superhero? Wolf, what, what? Oh my gosh, okay, who's your favorite Marvel superhero? Black Panther, okay, yeah, who else? Captain America, of course, who else? Wolverine, sure. <laughs> uh, for, for me growing up, um, if you, just a little bit of side note about me, I, I, I love Marvel, I am a Marvel nerd, and I'm, I'm a big, big fan of Marvel. And, and growing up, um, my favorite Marvel superhero was the Hulk. Of all the superheroes, for some reason, I loved the Hulk. And there was something about the Hulk that I loved, because you had this simple, ordinary-looking dude called Bruce Banner. And in a moment's instance, he became this indestructible beast that was green and had weird purple shorts. And I, we never know where the shorts came from. Because he was always in a suit, doing some science lab coat thing, and then purple shorts appeared. Superheroes, I don't know. Um, but superheroes are so interesting, and Marvel is so interesting. And because we as human beings have this huge fascination about superheroes. A fascination that's so big that the Marvel Universe has brought in 23 billion dollars in its movies and there's something in us that that we don't really know what it is but we're just fascinated by it we love the story of the, of the weak becoming strong the person that shouldn't win becoming the hero we we love that and we see it all throughout scripture as well and there's something as human beings which we which we come to these stories and we go oh i love it love it so much that on tuesday night i will be going and watching the eternals um, you can join me if you'd like. Um, Tuesday, obviously, cheap movie night. Um, why would you pay full price? Um, and so, uh, Scottish. Um, and so, um, I love Marvel so much that I will go back again and again and again. And I know what's going to happen. Like, we all know what's going to happen. We're going to show up. There's going to be an amazing battle scene. 
Someone is going to do something crazy. Someone is going to betray someone. Then there's going to be a weird lull of 20 minutes where you can sleep. Like that's like, you know, you know, the part of the movie where you're like, nothing's really happening here. And then, oh no, something happens. And then the superhero comes in, saves the day, and everybody wins. And it's like, whoa, this is so awesome. This is so amazing. And then you go away being like, that was the best movie ever. But I knew exactly what was going to happen. But I love it every single time. I am a superhero nerd. I love it. But there's something so attractive to these stories that draws us in, that craves in us to be like, I want to be like that. I want to be like that person. And I think the reason is, comes to this little topic that you're talking about called power. See, I believe that as human beings, in our own ways, we long for validation, recognition, and significance. Which is the nice way of saying... We all grasp for power. And today we're going to explore the topic of weak power. Weak power. And no, power and weakness are not antithetical to one another, but is the primary example in scripture of what the Christian life looks like. And so I'm going to give you a little disclaimer before we get into today's topic. Um, if you're, who, anyone here a personality nerd type person, like doing all those personality tests, trying to figure out who you are as a person? Yeah. And so I, I do all those little tests to try and figure out who I, who I am. And, and basically what those personality tests have come back to say is that Chris is a power hungry. Mm-hmm. His greatest fear is being vulnerable and weak. Mm-hmm. And so I do all these tests and it's like, basically, you just like love power and you hate being vulnerable. And so Rob's like, could you uh, preach on weak power? I'm like, oh, the Lord's going to work in my heart. Oh, and so as we come into this topic today, just just be aware that as I've been processing through this, um, God has been speaking to me and I believe he will be speaking to you too. Um, Because as human beings, there's something in us, there's something about us that we crave this little bit of power, and it looks a little bit different in all of our lives, but it's something that we should be aware of. And what does weak power actually look like? And so this morning, we're going to answer two questions. We're going to look just simply two questions as we process through Scripture, as we look through the lens of Paul in 2 Corinthians. And these are the two questions. Where does power really come from? And what does flourishing look like? Those are the two questions. Where does power really come from? And what does flourishing look like? And so before we jump into the scripture, I want to just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to to penetrate our hearts and minds to speak through me as we start this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you call us your beloved children. Uh, We thank you, Jesus, for um, making the way back to the Father again. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for revealing that to us. Um, This morning, God, would you reveal your word to us. God, would you um, either speak through me or bypass me? And God, would this morning we draw closer to you, know more of who we are, and know that we're loved deeply. In your name, amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Um, And we're going to be reading from uh, the words of Paul as he talks about power. And So starting at verse 7. Paul writes this, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To give you a little bit of context to where Paul is speaking into, you may be aware that the city of Corinth was a very interesting place. It was strategically positioned um, as a byway from the Aegean Sea to the Ionian Sea, and as well as from mainland Greece to the Peloponnese region. And when Julius Caesar uh, reconstituted Corinth a century after its destruction in 146 BC, the city was repopulated with largely um, uh, Roman freedmen, so former slaves, uh, Greeks and Jews and others. And Corinth was this cultural and economic hub with no solidified aristocracy, if that's the right word. I don't know how you pronounce that word. I'm, I'm foreign. I'll, I'll go with that. Um, but what this did is it resulted in this open society where basically, if you wanted to climb the social ladder, if you wanted to make something of yourself, you could. Uh, you just have to work harder. You'd have to be a bit more shrewd. And you could climb that ladder to success. And so Corinth actually was quite a place where people would climb the social ladder. And then once you made it to the top, you were justified in celebrating and being, hey, I made it. I made it to the top. Um, I don't think society's changed much, <laughs> has it? And so this is what Corinth looked like. Um, Tim Savage um, writes this. He says, in Corinth, perhaps more than anywhere else, social ascent was the goal. Boasting and self-display the means, personal power and glory the reward. So when Paul writes to the church in Corinth about weak power, these are hard words to hear. These, these are hard words to hear. And maybe today, maybe hard words for you to hear too. See, the problem that confronted Paul was that he did not embody the marks of power that the Corinthians valued. In many ways, he was the exact opposite of what they desired. It's like getting advice from someone that you don't want to get advice from. As some of you chuckle. You know what I'm talking about. Someone wants to give you advice and you're like, I'm not listening to you. It's going to go in this year and it's going to leave this year and it's never going to land in here. And, and this is what was happening for the Corinthians. They were, they were getting these words from Paul and they were starting to change their perspective of Paul. They were starting to change the way they thought about Paul. And when Paul spoke, they, they were seeing him less than what he was meant to be. And they weren't receiving the advice well. See, for Paul, he did not have an impressive physical presence. He, he lacked bravado and confidence. He was meek and gentle in his leadership. Paul was Steve Rogers. They wanted Captain America. That's what the Corinthians wanted. He did not speak with eloquence. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.6 tells us this. Paul writes, I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. And he did not boast in money, but rather intentionally he refused money for his services choosing to work a menial job as a tent maker, which for the Corinthians really wasn't that great a job. Now, on top of all this, Paul consistently experienced sufferings and hardships. And if you know anything about the culture of Corinth or our culture today, those who go through many sufferings and hardship often aren't looked on in the best light. Oh, you're going through that again? 
You're going through that again? Did you hear about so-and-so and how much they... You know what I'm talking about. And often those who are going through those moments aren't looked on best or in much favor. And in totality, the totality of Paul's weakness had become too much for the Corinthians, as Paul identified in chapter 11. They wanted a super apostle. The, the, the phrase is in there, which I just find hilarious. A super apostle. Not an apostle of weakness. They wanted an avenger. Not this guy. Hindsight lad. Have you ever heard? Who's heard of hindsight lad here? Yes! I, I had one person on my social media yesterday know who this was. Hindsight lad is arguably the worst ever superhero Marvel have created. Let me tell you about his superpowers. He has none. This is what he does. He comes into the battle, at the end of the battle, if they've won or lost, and gives them hindsight. Like he literally comes in and goes, well, you could have done that better. If you'd only just done this. And then he just leaves. Hindsight, lad. And this is what the Corinthians were looking at with Paul. They were going, we expect Captain America. We expect you to be big and bravado and, and show your, your apostleship. Show your, you're with Christ. You must be able to do miracles and all these things. And he comes in and goes, I just want to explain a few things to you. And they're like, you're hindsight, lad. We don't want you. We're not interested in what you're saying. We want a super apostle. And Paul does something really interesting. Really interesting in the middle of all of this. Because in the face of critique and open opposition to his authority, we might have expected Paul to have silenced the haters with an incredible display of authority as an apostle of Christ, or at the very least, hidden his weaknesses. But in the face of potentially losing the Christian believers to false gospels and to the hunger of power, rather than meeting their expectations, Paul shines a light on the very weaknesses that cause them to criticize him. Interesting. And we're going to read this together. It's in 2 Corinthians 11, the chapter before. And this is what Paul writes to the Corinthians from 16 to 31. He says this, I repeat. Let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. Love this sarcasm. Love it. He's so sarcastic, Paul. He's Scottish. And he says this. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? Well, so am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the, uh, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, in dangers at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored. 
and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of these things that show my weakness. Put yourself in the, in the picture of the Corinthian church. You're seeing what's going on in the culture around you. You're seeing how people step up into power, how people get things. And the person that's planted this church, as we read back in Acts, Paul is writing to you, giving you some hindsight, lad. <laughs> and you're looking at Paul and going, but you just don't look like these people. Like, that's okay, Paul, but... Do you see what they have now? Do you see what they're getting? Do you see the way in which they get those things? And Paul, you're weak. And Paul goes, I know. Exactly. For it's when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul radically embraces the very things the Corinthians rejected. Paul's weakness was the source of his power. For Paul, the power to dominate and win was antithetical to the nature of the gospel. Plainly put, Paul was not merely questioning power and leadership, but whether you embrace the way of Jesus. Whether you embrace the way of Jesus. So let's answer those two questions that we set out with. Using uh, the context and the scripture of Paul, the two questions of where does power really come from? And then what does true flourishing look like? So question number one, where does power really come from? True power comes from the way of weakness. Uh, the great theologian G.I. Packer, um, G.I. Packer, who many of you probably have read, read his books, started Regent College out in Vancouver, um, was a Brit, hurrah. Um, and so G.I. Packer said this in his book, Weakness is the Way. He describes the way of weakness as consisting of two basic aspects. One is that the watching world sees you as weak in the sense of being limited and inadequate. And the second aspect is that you yourself are very conscious of being limited and inadequate. In that respect, we are all to walk in the footsteps of Paul, knowing that God's strength is in the midst of our human weakness. Now, sometimes point number one gets overlooked. Sometimes we may think, oh yeah, but weakness looks for the missionary or the pastor or the nun. <laughs> but actually, the call to the way of weakness is the call to those who follow Jesus, which means anyone here who follows Jesus. It's the way of true Christian living. And let me clearly say this as best as I can. As best as the, the simplicity of how I can say this. Is that being a Christian is someone who embraces the rulership of God over their life through the person and work of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Embracing the rulership of God over their life through the person and work of Jesus. And to live the Christian life is living in full dependence upon God, moving forward to embrace every weakness so that God's glory might be revealed. This is what it means to be a Christian and to live the Christian life. And I think sometimes in our culture, we get a little bit of that mixed up. Sometimes we, sometimes we like to, to, to make it a little bit nicer. <laughs> is Jesus your forever friend? Well, yes, Jesus is my friend, but I've submitted to the rulership of God. Through the work and person of Jesus. He is my king. 
and see what it means to be a Christian. And to live that life is to say, I'm going to live in full dependence upon God so that in every weakness I have, his glory may be revealed. And see, this way of weakness, I think, has a couple misconceptions. A couple misconceptions. And I've seen them play out lots. I've seen them play out lots. And you may have too. And the first is this, is the misconception that weakness... My screen looks different than yours. Uh, weakness is not self-loathing. I'm so weak. I'm a disciple of Jesus, but I'm awful. Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. If you, if you know Winnie the Pooh, it's Eeyore. We, uh, for Halloween this year, we, um, we always set up the front of our, our house with a different theme every year and embrace the neighbors and have everyone over. Uh, and this year, we went for a hundred acre wood. That was our theme. And so, obviously, I was Christopher Robin, of course. Uh, my wife, Steph, who many of you know, who is the most energetic um, um, Duracell battery, um, jumping around super happy, um, she decided to go as Eeyore in the, all, all, of, all of the irony of that. She claims it's because she doesn't have anything pink to be piglet, and her friend was already Tigger. Um, but really, she was just going to be cold, so she thought, what could be the thing I could wrap up the most in? <laughs> so she became Eeyore. Um, and Eeyore has this interesting way about him, if you know Eeyore. Eeyore, in Winnie the Pooh, constantly recites the narrative of failure over his life. And I see this sometimes as we embrace the way of weakness, that people just self-loathe. And the way of weakness is not to self-loathe. See, an embrace of weakness does not neglect the truth that you and I are created in the image of God and called beloved children of God, the Father. Your value is not diminished by weakness. Rather, your life is elevated by weakness as grace is bestowed on you. And James tells us that. He says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, John Calvin, um, the great theologian, uh, and put this uh, idea of weak power in a beautiful image. And I want to read this to you. And I think it's going to come up on the screen right now. He says this. Uh, for then do we make room for Christ's grace when in true humility of mind and fe we feel and confess our own weakness. The valleys are watered with rain to make, the, uh, to make them fruitful. While in the meantime, the high summits of the lofty mountains remain dry. Let that man, therefore, become a valley who is desirous to receive the heavenly reign of God's spiritual grace. See, in Calvin's image here, the reign represents God's grace poured out and given in power. It is not possessed or owned or even controlled. Only those who become like a valley can receive it. In other words, those who humble themselves and acknowledge their weakness will know the refreshing rainfall of God's power upon the soil of their hearts. Only those who become lowly will receive the nutrients necessary to truly produce fruit. So the first is, weakness does not mean self-loathing. The second is, weakness does not mean rejecting the God-given strengths and abilities, the gifts, the talents that you have been given. Some of you today might just need to hear that your strengths and abilities are good things. They are God-given things. Now, there's a group of people that I very much admire and love. I have a lot of time for, and they see me a lot. This is the coffee barista. The coffee barista. I love the coffee barista because the coffee barista makes me feel happy and loved. Knows my heart. 
I spend a lot of time with the coffee barista. We have lots of great conversations. Now, if you are very good at making coffees, it may be a wise decision to be a barista. You may have strengths and abilities in which you can bless people with. Use them. It's a good thing to use the gifts you have. And, and this is a totally non-theological point. Don't write this one down. Stop the recording. Um, I, I have a particular view of heaven. Um, and, and when I think about heaven, um, I, I use it in terms of uh, the, the scripture from Revelation chapter 22. Um, and this is my view of heaven. I, I believe that most of our jobs will probably cease to exist. We'll pick up some new jobs as we, as we step into the uh, eternity with God. Um, but I believe there is one job that will continue in heaven. Let me, let me read for you. Uh, Revelation 22, uh, 1 to 2. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the middle of the street, on either side of the river, was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, including the coffee bean, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations through the gifts and abilities of Kincaid. <laughs> See, I, I, I truly believe the coffee is going to be a wonderful thing in heaven. I'm biased, but I believe it. Um, see, when we recognize our talents and strengths and abilities are gifts from God, then they can be utilized for ultimate good and dependence upon him. And there is no calling in our life that does not require a deep acceptance of our weakness. Um, many of you know me as the speaker. That's how I've shown up and I speak a few times. Um, I, I didn't start preaching until I was about 19, 20 years old. Um, I, I always thought I could maybe do something like this. I like to talk to people, and, and I like talking. Um, but I was always the guy who was behind the guitar. That was my thing. So I, I led worship lots growing up, and, and my friends would preach and teach. And, and I would always hide behind the guitar. And then there'd be sometimes they would say, hey, Chris, just say something. Just say something. Even if you're leading worship, just say something. I'm like, nope. I am very comfortable behind the guitar. This is my safe place. This is my bubble. And I would hide there and I, and I wouldn't step into some of the things that I think God has given me. Um, and when I was 19, 20 years old, I came out to Canada. Um, and I spent a summer working at a summer camp out on Red Deer Lake, the most disgusting lake ever. But it was camp, so it was amazing. And I was there, and I was, I'd been there for about three weeks. I was there for five weeks. And, and week four, the speaker had to pull out last minute. Decl like declined, something happened, couldn't be there. And so the camp director turns to him to me and says, Chris, uh, would you preach this week? And I said, I don't do that. No, I can play guitar for you. I can sing a little song. I can maybe tell a joke. I am never preaching the word of God. And he went, but I see something in you. I think God may have given you a little gift that you're not using. And so lo and behold, 19-year-old Chris stands up and starts to speak. And I love it. I love being able to open God's word. I love being able to talk about it. I love being able to, to laugh and to communicate and, and do all those things. But so for so long, I hid behind the guitar and I didn't want to do it. And, and I do believe some of you may have gifts and abilities that God has given you. And you're hiding behind your guitar. Pick whatever your guitar looks like. You're hiding behind it because God has given you gifts and abilities and you may be using the way of weakness as your excuse not to step into the gifts and abilities that God has given you because he wants to utilize them for his kingdom. He wants to actually use them so that people come to know Jesus. He wants to use them so people walk in the truth of God's love for them. But you're hiding behind the thing because you're using the way of weakness of going, I'm just a weak person. I'm a weak human being. I, I just, God would never use that gift in my life. 
And maybe today God is saying to you, hey, that gift that I gave you, can you please use it? See, it's one of the misconceptions of the way of weakness, that we don't actually use the gifts, talents, talents and abilities that God has given us. G.I. Packer, he puts it this way. He says, what we face in the world today is a self-achieved identity. As Christians, we believe in a given identity, not an achieved one. The Christian is found in Christ. The self-achieved identity is very fragile because we have to sustain it. Nobody else is going to sustain it for me when I have built it up for myself. The result of this is a tendency towards narcissism because there is a depleted sense of self. This is not what God ordained that we should have for an identity. So the life of a follower of Jesus is the power through the way of weakness. It is not self-loathing. It does not reject the gifts and abilities that God has given us, but it is found in a posture of full dependence upon God, moving forward to embrace every weakness so that God's glory might be revealed. So why should you care? Why should you care? Well, I think the answer comes in our second question of what does true flourishing look like? I believe many people are asking that question. Um, what does flourishing look like? How can I have the complete life? How can I have a beautiful, holistic life? You see it everywhere. You can have the best life if you just do this. Fill in the blank and your life will be amazing. And I think we have this question. And I think all of us at some point in our life wrestle with this question of how can I flourish? And there may be a different heart behind the question, but it's often the, the same. Life is hard. I have big questions. The future scares me. I'm lonely. Um, fill in your reason for asking this question, but it is a question that is incredibly important because God designed us to flourish. God did not create you to not flourish. He did not create you to be like a flower outside of water and to wither and die. He created you as his child to flourish. But yet, many of us do not. Or we may know people who do not. And I believe what we read from scripture, and particularly in the picture Paul paints for us, is that human flourishing and the way of weakness are synonymous. Flourishing is not the absence of weakness, nor the absence of dependence or need, but that genuine human flourishing is discovered in fully relying on Christ. Uh, this past week, um, some of your team, myself included, uh, and, and others in our district uh, went and had our prayer retreat, our annual prayer retreat, where we gather um, the, the pastors in the Western District of Canada, and we have some time together, fellowship together, pray together. And this year's theme was simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. They, they, they decluttered the schedule. They had one session in the morning, one session at night, and the rest of the day was pretty free to spend some time with friends, to, to, to be out in nature, to pray. And there was something in the leaders of our denomination that thought, our pastors need to know simply Jesus. Our pastors need to know they just need to abide in Jesus. And so if you're sitting today going, I think I need to abide in Jesus more. No, your pastors need it too. <laughs> your pastors need it too. And they're saying, pastors, leaders, simply Jesus. And part of this flourishing, a huge part of this flourishing is how you look at Jesus. And to understand what it means to flourish as a person, we first and foremost, we look to Jesus. We discover what it means to be human. We must fix our eyes on the incarnation of the Son of God. Here we get this front row seat to the long and developed story of human flourishing. See, paradoxically, we don't discover what it means to be image bearers by looking primarily at the first image bearers, Adam and Eve. 
But we discover what it means to be image bearers by looking to the image of God himself, Jesus. And Jesus reveals to us the characteristics of human flourishing and and defines our role as those who are made in his image. Meaning that the flourishing self is the abiding self, not the actualized self. Someone who is wholly dependent on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, do you want to have a life that flourishes to the full as Jesus describes in John 10.10? Abide in Jesus. Do you want to have a complete identity that never has to be self-achieved by you and sustained by you, but rather is light and easy? Abide in Jesus. Do you want a life that is able to receive fully from God the Father, hearing his voice clearly? Abide in Jesus. And do you want a life that you can accept your weakness, give them to God, and allow him to work powerfully through you? Abide in Jesus. Simply Jesus. Let me uh, land the plane here. When Jesus' way of abundance is revealed to us, I think many of us sometimes think he's speaking hyperbolically. He couldn't have really meant, without me you can do nothing, right? Like, really? Did he mean that? Did Did he mean that? Yes. Without me, you can do nothing. In the famous words of G.K. Chesterton, he says this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It is easy to read Jesus' call to embrace our weakness and treat it like a mind game that only needs to be tossed around in our brains rather than lived. And sometimes we don't take Jesus seriously. And in turn, we still view weakness as a problem to overcome. We take the quest of self-actualization through the development of our talents and abilities, and we treat them as the basic litmus test of being faithful and flourishing. And one of the ways we do this is we actually mask our use of power and strength and just simply describe it as something else. It's self-deceptive. We, we, we use other ways to, to think about this. And I think sometimes we do this in the church. The church is God's bride. But I think sometimes we assess the church. We, we, we give it metrics. We give it business. We, we give it uh, our approval. Did I like this morning? Was that a good word from the Scottish guy this morning? And sometimes we do this because we adopt the culture around us where we self-actualize the bride of Christ. Rather than simply just abide in Jesus. And sometimes we have to be aware of where in my life do I do that? Where in, my, where in my life do I actually take on the culture of the world that says, build up, build up, build up, build up, get more power, more power, more power, power. And where do I actually do that? And that's been a, that's been a hard thing for power-hungry Chris over here <laughs> to do. But the call to the Christian life is to live in full dependence upon God, moving forward to embrace every weakness that God's glory might be revealed. And there's something wonderful in God's upside-down kingdom culture that when we live this way, humankind flourishes. Humankind actually flourishes. And so do you want to flourish? Choose the way of weakness. Don't belittle yourself, but walk firm in your identity as an image-bearer of God who is deeply loved by the Father. And let me land with this. In, in an interview with G.I. Packer, just before he passed away, he was asked what it looked like to embrace this way of weakness. And he said this. You should have a 50-year plan, a vision for growth over a long period of time as you embrace your weakness. Learning to walk this way takes a lifetime, and it doesn't happen 
by accident. First Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Crosspoint Church, choose the way of weakness. Realize that in ourselves, we are inadequate. We cannot do things ourselves. But through God, oh, he can be glorified. And power can be bestowed through the weakness of a follower of Jesus. Stand firm in your given identity as an image bearer of God who is deeply loved. Flourish as a human being as you abide in Jesus. Simply Jesus. And do it for a lifetime. Amen? Let's pray. Father, the way of weakness is not easy. Um, everything around us is, is, is counterintuitive to that. Um, often in our workplaces, in our families, um, in society, those who seize power often have power, and, uh, and, and sometimes it's the example that we see. Um, but in your upside-down kingdom culture, God, you actually call us to embrace our weaknesses, give them to you, and allow you to be glorified through them. And uh, God, that takes a lifetime. That takes ups and downs. That takes um, deliberate action. Um, but Jesus, we ask that you'll help us in this. Uh, God, I pray for those this morning who have used the excuse of, of self-loathing or have rejected the gifts and abilities that you've given them because they've maybe confused that with being weak. God, would you remind them again today that in their weakness, they are strong because of you. That you have called people to things. That you empower people for what you've called them to do. And God, as we do this, as we step into weakness, as we accept that we are not the center person in the story, but Jesus, you are. Then we start to flourish because we walk in the identity of who we're called to be. God, help this church flourish. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.